With Bibles open to Genesis 22, we are continuing our sermon series, God's Great Love Story. We launched it in February looking through the book of Ruth, and we said Ruth was really the the uh, point of story, the illustration, if you will, of God's love story to mankind. And then uh, in March, last week, we began with sin. And of course, you have to start the story with the problem. And we looked at sin in Genesis chapter 3, and we saw how Adam and Eve fell and how sin entered into the human equation. Today, we come to Genesis 22, and we see that part of God's great love story, yes, there is the understanding of sin, but then it moves past sin, and it goes to this notion of sacrifice. So we're going to be looking at sacrifice here this morning. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word, Genesis chapter 22, the sacrifice of love. I'll be reading from the ESV. That's the English Standard Version, but you follow along in your translation as I read from mine. Beginning in verse number 1, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering, a burnt sacrifice, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Father God, as we open your word here today, and we see the sacrifice of love that you have displayed for us, oh God, that you would show us, you would teach us, Open our heart, open our life to receive from you this word today. We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. Three things we see about sacrifice in this passage. First of all, the sacrifice of love. We have to understand that sacrifice is painful. Sacrifice is painful. I can barely read the verses of this passage without a lump growing in my throat. A, it's one of the most gut-wrenching passages, verses in, in all of the Bible. And you can't read this passage without wondering why. What's going on? Why God would ask his friend Abraham to, to sacrifice the chosen son, the chosen one Isaac? Why uh, would God be doing this to slaughter him like an animal? It was unthinkable. It was unimaginable. And only a parent could begin to think of of the terror and fear and sorrow of emotions that Abraham must have been experiencing. God is saying to Abraham, take your son, take your only son Isaac and offer him back to me. Now life is a series of sacrificial tests and many of them are painful. God uses tests. He uses trials. He, He puts us in the furnace of affliction. Go home and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and following and see that it's through the trials, it's through the fire of trial that God uses to bring about His glory and to bring about His blessings. And these trials, they last a lifetime, don't they? 
You never really graduate from the university of trials while you live, do you? There's always more to learn. Have you ever discovered in life that the time you think that you have finally arrived, that's when the wheels come off? It's kind of like my golf game. If you're a frustrated golfer like I am, as soon as you think you're ready to make the PGA Tour, you're hitting pars and birdies. And I mean, that the swing feels good. The ball's going straight down the fairway. You think, I finally arrived. You tee it up and you swing and you knock it over onto the other green. You see, golf is not a game of perfect. Life is not a game of perfect. We find ourselves in the bunkers of life. We find ourselves out of bounds in life, struggling just to get by. Abraham was no different. Here's a man of a 100 years old, a 100 years of age, and, and he's still in the school of faith. He's still walking through trials. He's still learning the lessons. And now at a 100 years old, he is he, over a 100. He is now facing the biggest trial, the biggest test of his life. You know, it's never too late to stop growing in your faith, and it's never too early to start growing in your faith. There should never be a time when you retire. You should never stop growing in your faith. And you should never use the excuse, young person, that you're too young to work on the faith. There's never, there's never a right time to stop the faith, and there's always the right time to start the faith. God strengthens us through trials. Our testimony has grown stronger and grows stronger through the test of life. And so often these tests are painful, aren't they? When I was a little boy, I was always finding myself scraping my knee, cutting my finger, breaking a bone. I was a rambunctious kid. This was before the days of Ridlin. I'm sure if they had Ridlin, I would have been on it. My mother assumed that I would probably die before the age of 10 because of all the stuff that happened to me. Bones broken, flesh cut, blood pouring out. It was a daily occurrence. But I would scrape my knee. I would cut my finger. My mother had a miracle medicine that she would always use. It was called hydrogen peroxide, clear liquid fire. <laughs> and if it wasn't really bad enough, you know, when you pour hydrogen peroxide on a wound, what does it do? It fizzles up. If that fizzle and that burn didn't stop the bleeding, my mother had a fallback plan. She would go in her room and she would get this green container with a white top on it. It's called camphophenic. Ever heard of it? Three fingerfuls right on it. That would stop the bleeding. <laughs> I would scream more when I hurt myself knowing what I was about to face than what... <laughs> when she put that stuff on my skin, I felt I entered into hell itself. <laughs> but through my tears, she would always assure me, Wesley... The burning, the stinging, that means the medicine's working. (laughs) I don't know about all that now, but I tell you, as a young kid, I believed it then. In some sick, sadistic way, it helped me to cope that I knew that first comes the pain, but then comes the healing. First comes the pain, but then comes the healing. In trials, in struggles, in tests, and sorrows of life, they're so very painful, aren't they? 
But I remind you, first comes the pain, then comes the healing. Of course, we're not talking about scraped knees and cut fingers now, are we? We're talking about broken hearts. We're talking about dashed dreams. We're talking about lives full of sorrow and hurt and pain. Giving up and and, and uh, watching and seeing someone or something dear leave. Through pain comes healing. Abraham had been tested his whole life. Test after test, his whole life had been a series of tests. And he comes now to this one. And he failed some tests. He passed some tests, just like all of us do in life. But when Abraham faced this test that we read about in Genesis 22, he passed it with flying colors. And what we see in the life of Abraham at this moment is unreserved, unrestrained, unrivaled surrender and commitment to God. It's a surrender of everything. He was like any father. He was like any mother. He was like any parent. He would much rather have put himself in the shoes of Isaac and and put himself on that altar than to offer his son. But you need to know that God was not on a mission and after the son of Abraham. This is not a story about the sacrifice of Isaac. God was intently keen on Abraham and Abraham's life and Abraham's heart. And, and this was a trial. God would have never allowed Isaac to be sacrificed. God does not allow human sacrifice. He, he doesn't uh, enjoy that. He doesn't look for that. What God wanted was Abraham's heart fully and completely focused on him. Some Bible students and scholars, when they read this, interpret this passage, they suggest, and it's simply a suggestion. It's not, we don't know it's true or not. I actually tend to believe this suggestion, though, that perhaps Abraham had made an idol out of his son. After all, he was the son of promise. He was the son of Abraham's old age. He was the answer to the promise that God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will bless the nations from you, Abraham. So we begin to think, wonder, how would Abraham have treated his son Isaac, the son that he had hoped for and and prayed for for years, and now this boy, the pride of his eye, the, the apple of his eye, the son of promise, the one through the whole world would be blessed. Could it be? Is it possible that Abraham was given or gave Isaac an inordinate amount of affection and attention? You say, no, wait a minute, preacher. What are you saying? Are you saying it's possible to love your children too much? That's not at all what I'm saying. It's not possible to love your children too much. We should love our children. We should we should uh, raise our children, rear our children. You should love your grandchildren. You should love your great grand. You, you cannot love your children enough. But what I am saying is that you can love people or things to the point where it's unhealthy. And whenever you place someone or something before God, that thing becomes an idol. And that's a very dangerous place to be. The assumption is that Abraham had done that with Isaac. That he had placed Isaac and he had placed Isaac before God. Whenever you have anything or anyone before God, now you have a problem. You remember that rich young ruler that came to Jesus? Very successful man. Wealthy, sophisticated. He came to Jesus and... One of the gospel accounts said that Jesus uh, loved him and and the, the rich young ruler asked, Master, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded and said, you have to keep all the commandments. Without skipping a beat, the rich young ruler said, well, I, I have done that. I've, I have kept all of the commandments ever since I was a young man. 
He was a liar. He hadn't done that. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew this rich young ruler wasn't telling the truth. He had a major heart flaw. He was possessed by his possessions. He didn't love God, which is the first commandment. He didn't love his neighbor as himself as the second. He loved his money. He loved his possessions. And Jesus nailed him to the wall with it. He said, all right, you've kept the commandments. Then give everything that you have over to the poor. Sell what you have and come and follow me. This time, the shoulders aren't as square. His posture is not as keen. And the rich young ruler looked at Jesus and he, he walked away, the Bible says, sorrowfully because he was a man of great possessions. You see, this rich young ruler, he had erected an idol in his heart and the idol was his money. And it kept him from following Christ. The Bible does not condemn wealth. It does not condemn people for having money. But what happens What happens so often is money does strange things to people, doesn't it? Fame does strange things to people. And the point of the passage and the point of, of the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler is that whatever or whomever you put before God is an idol. And so often money and, and people and possessions, we, we create these things, we erect these things in our, in, in our heart and they become idols. The Bible talks about this. It talks about the idols of the heart. And before we can completely, unconditionally follow Jesus Christ, those idols must be destroyed. There's no such thing as a half surrender to Christ. Jesus said himself, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross. How often? Daily. And follow me. There's no such thing as taking up and picking up a, a half cross. There's, there's no such thing as, as following Christ one day and not following Christ another day. He said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, pick up my cross, pick up your cross and daily follow after me. He said, all the time. That's what authentic, genuine faith does. It's, it, it tests our life. It proves our mettle. It's through the pain of trial that strengthens us on the other side. Sacrifices are meant to be painful. If it were easy, it would not be a sacrifice. The basic definition of a sacrifice is that which is hard. If sacrifices were meant to be easy, if sacrifices would be meant to be easy, then they would cease to be a sacrifice. By definition, sacrifices are hard. They are to be painful. They're not to be something that, that we enjoy to do. Last year, we were asked to sacrifice to Aloma 2020. If you have your bulletin, you can pull it out, and you can see a year ago today what the commitments were and where we are right now. Last year, we had in our first year pledge $374,000 committed to Aloma 2020. Of those who made commitments, 18% of the people who made commitments did not give a dime toward their commitment. Now, I'll say this, it's a scary thing to make a commitment before God and not follow through with it. Now, I promised you a year ago that if you were to make a commitment, I know life happens, things happen. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to say shame on you. I'm not going to send our, uh, a little Italian hitman to your house and knock on your doors and break your shins because you didn't give. I promise you, you weren't going to get a phone call. You were not going to get an email. You're not going to get a letter. You're not going to get any of that. 
because this commitment is between you and the Lord. But when 18% of the people made a commitment and not, didn't give one thing, it, it, it causes concern. Now, those there are people in our church who came afterward and, and people who were still here who didn't feel led to make a commitment. They didn't feel led to make a, a three-year pledge, and that was fine. We, we said that. And, and those who did not give a pledge actually gave over $100,000, and they carried the day. But at this point, the only ministry that we're going to see come out of Aloma 2020 is the Boatwright Center. That's a good thing. The building's a good thing. I praise God for the building. We're seeing ministry take place in, in this building every day. Understand that the money still needs to come in because we have to pay the building off. Just because it's built doesn't mean that we have it. At this point, the only thing that we're going to be able to see through Aloma 2020 is the Boatwright Center. And I've reasoned in my heart, if that was God's will, then so be it. I stood before you a year ago and I shared with you the vision that God, I believe, placed on, on the heart of this church. And never once did you say that it's God, I, <clears throat> hear me say, it's God's will to do this, 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 and this. Because if this, 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 and this didn't happen, then what do we say about God's will? But you did hear me say, and I stood before you a year ago and I say that I believe that this is where God is leading us. I believe that God is leading us to build a, a multi-purpose facility for the purposes of fellowship and evangelism. You heard me say that it is, it is uh, the, 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 the desire and the passion, I believe, of God to see Aloma Church partner with the Pregnancy Center and, and have, a, have a facility here on our campus within the circle, within five miles of the largest, what I call the largest slaughterhouse in Florida, an abortion clinic just right up the road in Maitland where they commit second and, uh, yes, even some third, uh, third trimester abortions. So what do we say? If all of this, if all of this is what it is, then what do we say? A low-income clinic. The only way all of this, any of this is going to happen, the only way that we even have the Boatwright Center is because people sacrificed. The only way we're going to step into the future and see all of these other things is if we all sacrifice, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. If we don't, it's going to be business as usual. We will go on and we will seek God's will as we go on. But there must come a time when we decide in our heart, are our kids worth an investment? We need to come to the place where we ask ourselves, we must, there must come a time when we ask ourselves, is the voice of the unborn purposeful? Is it worth giving to? Is it worth sacrificing to? There must come a time when we say, is it, is it, is it right for the church to, to want to wrap their arms around the poor? We live in, in a vicinity where there are haves and have-nots. And the have-nots are getting worse and the haves are getting better. Would it not stand to reason that the church, the church, it's not the government's responsibility to take care of those who are poor. It's the church's responsibility. The reason why our health care is all messed up is because the government got into it. It's the church's responsibility to do these things. Now, 
We can only go as far as we sacrifice. We only go as far as our weakest member. If we don't all get in the game and and give and, you know, sacrifice is painful. Sarah and I, we, we prayed over this. We said, God, what is it that you would want us to give? And we wrote the largest check I have ever written in my life to go to Aloma 2020. I don't regret that one moment. We don't regret one penny that we've given to the cause of Christ. Whether it's a Loma church or whether it was a church in Nashville or when we were in Texas, we give to God because when we feel the need to sacrifice, we sacrifice. And yes, it is painful. Yes, it does hurt. But there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with... We live in a culture, don't we? That tells us that when you feel pain, you should medicate yourself. You should run away. That you should always feel good and you should always be happy. There's nothing wrong with feeling good and being happy. Those of you who know me, I I love joking. I love cutting up. I love laughing. I would much rather smile and laugh than cry. But the Bible says there's a time to laugh, but there's also a time to cry and a time to mourn. When storms come, when trials come, stop running away from them. When hardships come, instead of throwing your hands up and saying, I quit, when problems happen, instead of getting your mind off the issues and trying to self-medicate yourself with a needle in your arm or, or a bottle that you're drinking, instead of trying to run away from the problem and run away from the trials, understand that sometimes, oftentimes, sacrifices are hard. Sacrifices are painful. And that goes for finances. That goes for life. That goes with all decisions, all trials of life, all situations of life. When we are called to sacrifice, by definition, if it were easy, it's not a sacrifice. God demands a sacrifice. God demands our life to be a sacrifice. We must crucify ourselves daily. Romans 12.1. We crucify ourselves daily as a sacrifice, as an offering to Him. Sacrifices are painful. Sacrifices are also purposeful. That's what we see in this text. So you see, when we go through, when we go through trials, we go through all of these things, we understand that, okay, sacrifices are not meant to always be fun. Uh, trials are not always meant to be fun, that, that, that there will be some pain quite possibly that follows it. It also helps to be assured that I'm going through this for a purpose. That this is not just some cosmic vacuum that God wound up the clock of the earth and said, here, you have at it and, and let just destiny take place. No, we understand that there's a purpose behind the, the trial. There's a purpose behind the sacrifice. No wonder Jesus, in thinking of Abraham, Jesus said this, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. That's what Jesus said. What does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he was glad? You know what he was saying? 
He was saying that Abraham, despite the trials and despite the fact he did not understand why God was telling them to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham looked forward in the eyes of faith and he saw the day of the ultimate sacrifice, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, and it made Abraham happy because he understood that there was a purpose to the trial. There was a purpose to the sacrifice, that this wasn't just all going to be lost and in vain. There's a purpose. The Bible says he rose up, Genesis 22, early. Don't know if he questioned or not, but he began the journey. He could have thought, well, maybe if I wait, God will change his mind, or maybe I'll change my mind, but there, there is no hesitation. He acted. Now put yourself in Abraham's sandals. Here we are in a comfortable church auditorium with friends, with family this morning. Most of us not going through any type of trial the way Abraham went through it. Put yourself in his sandals. How could he have done this? To be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if I could have done what he did. How could you? We have two children ourselves, Abigail and Elijah. I'm not sure I could have done this. How did this man do it? Well, we don't have to ask that question long. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promise, offered up his son, his only begotten, of whom it was said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able, now here it is in verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. You see, Abraham trusted God at his word. God said, this son is the son of promise. This son is the son of blessing. And Abraham knew. He even told his servants in verse 5 of Genesis 22, he said, we're going to go and we will come back. Abraham knew. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but Abraham knew that God was going to fulfill his promise. And, and if that meant Isaac was going to die, Abraham believed and had enough faith, had enough measure of faith that if Isaac died, God would have raised him up from the dead. You see... Abraham knew this. He based it upon the promise of God. When God gives you a promise, he's going to keep his promise. When God says in his word, he will never leave you or forsake you, you can take that to heaven's bank and deposit it. When he said no weapon formed against you shall prosper, you can trust that. When he said, greater is he that is within you than he who is within this world, you can trust that. You can believe that. You can bank on that. Why? Because God cannot go back on his promises. If God were to revert back and not fulfill his promise, that would make God a liar. Therefore, God would cease to be God. Abraham trusted God. He trusted in a higher purpose. He surrendered he sacrificed. Abraham depended upon God's word. He received God's promise. He received God's power. He received God's provision. Look back in Genesis 22. It talks about uh, God's provision in verse 8. Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself. That literally means that God will provide himself for the sacrifice. That's what he literally said. When Isaac looked, he said, where's the, where's the lamb? Here's the fire. Here's the, here's the knife. Here's the wood. Where's the lamb? Abraham said in your Bible, he said, God will provide the sacrifice. But what he literally says in the Hebrew is that God will provide himself for the sacrifice. God will be the sacrifice, son. God will be the sacrifice. And of course, this is a precursor. This is a preamble. 
This tells us, this, this begins to alert us, hey, there's something going on here. As we saw in Genesis chapter 3 last week, that the seed of the woman, wait, something's going on here. Woman doesn't have the seed. What's going on here? It's a precursor, it's a preamble, it's a scarlet thread woven through the Bible. We see it here in Genesis 22. God will provide himself for the sacrifice. God will step in. And of course, we know this is referring to Christ himself. Christ was in God reconciling the world to himself. Then in verse 14, we see this even further, the scarlet thread through the Bible. God's great love story. Abraham called the place where they stood there on Mount Moriah. Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. I want you to remember here on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22. In the Old Testament, this mountain is called Mount Moriah. Anyone know what it's called in the New Testament? Mount Zion, Calvary. The same mountain, the same place that Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, the same place that a father was was told to come and sacrifice his son, is the exact same place Thousands of years later, another father would bring his son on that same mountain, on that same place. Another sacrifice was to be brought. Now, the story of Abraham and Isaac, God provided a scapegoat. He provided a ram in place of Isaac. But thousands of years later, when God would send his son, Jesus Christ, and as Jesus was was hanging on that cross on Mount Moriah, the Lord, my provider, he is providing. And God did not provide another scapegoat. Jesus was the lamb of God that was sacrificed. And God, the father, turned his back on God, the son, and forsook his son. Jesus, the lamb of God, became our righteousness. You see, that death, it was never meant for Isaac. The death was never meant for us. Jesus took our place. Listen to this, Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh. Not only does it mean God my provider, but it's also translated that the Lord will see to it. In Hebrew, it means the Lord is my provider, but it also means the Lord will see to it. Are you facing a crisis today? A financial crisis of your life, the Lord will see to it. You stop worrying about it, the Lord will provide, the Lord will see to it. Are you facing emotional struggles in life and it seems that your whole world is coming apart? The Lord will see to it. You say, I'm a Christian, I'm experiencing these struggles, these traumas. Listen, the Lord will see to it. Maybe your marriage is in trouble and you've tried everything and you're wondering what's next. Listen, the Lord will see to it. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, And when you discover and you depend upon God, the trials and the struggles of life, you discover that that God will be more real to you in those trials than you have ever known him to be. I tell you, in the school of faith, it's impossible really to follow Jesus unless you're willing to follow him through the fires of sacrifice, the pain of sacrifice, but also understanding his purpose. Finally, sacrifices are powerful. I think Abraham understood this. He didn't understand everything that was going on. He didn't understand why he was being led to do what he was doing. But he trusted. He had an altar. He laid down his questions. He laid down his fears. He laid down his emotions. And he gave it all to God. 
That's the essence of sacrifice. You say, Pastor, I, I want to sacrifice. I want my life to be a living sacrifice. How, how do I do that? How do I do that? It's one word. You ready? Here's the secret to be able to sacrifice. You ready? It's the word trust. The way you sacrifice is you trust. The way you sacrifice finances is that you trust that there's a purpose, that there's power behind it. The way you sacrifice your time, the way you sacrifice your energy, the way you sacrifice all of these things is through trusting. That's how one person can walk through the death of a spouse and and through her mourning understand the power of God through that trial. While another person loses her spouse and yet through a similar situation becomes frustrated and gives up. What's the difference? The one who trusted God trusted through that trial, through that sacrifice. I remind you what I said earlier. This story in Genesis 22 was a test. But God did not want Isaac. This was not a test for Isaac. This was in no way some sadistic plan for God to see a a, a father sacrifice his son. It was a preamble. It was a precursor for him, the father, to sacrifice his son thousands of years later. But the purpose of this text is not about Isaac. It's not about Isaac at all. This story is not about sacrificing Isaac. We, we talk about Genesis 22 when Abraham sacrificed or was to sacrifice Isaac. This story is not about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. This story is about Abraham sacrificing Abraham. That's what God was wanting. God was wanting Abraham to lay everything down on that altar to trust him in sacrifice. Remember, that's what we said. That's how you sacrifice is, is you trust Now, how would you pass such a test today? Would you trust God if everything was taken away from you? Family, friends, career, possessions, health, ambitions, dreams, what if it was all taken away? Would you still trust God? Is there something that God is speaking to your heart, some idol that you have created within your own heart and your own life that you are placing before God? Listen to me. Listen to me. If there is an idol, whether it's a person or a thing or something tangible or it's something intangible like wealth or fame, if you have created an idol in your heart, God has a way, Christian, listen to me. God has a way of stripping that away. God is a jealous God. God will not share with anyone. God wants your heart completely and totally. And let me say this from personal experience. It's a whole lot better for you to lay down your idols and confess that and get it out of the way. The other option is not so good, is not so fun. And many of us have walked through that, is that God will strip it away. When God strips it away, it hurts. It's not going to be easy for you to lay it down. I understand that. If, if money is your God, it's not going to be an easy road for you to lay it down. We saw that from the rich young ruler. But let me tell you, it's going to be a whole lot better for you to lay it down in the power of the Holy Spirit than for God to lead you through a series of things because God will get what he deserves. God will get what belongs to him. You can either do it with open hands or you can do it with clenched fists, but either way, God will get his. I tell you, as I get older and older in the faith, I am tired of playing games with God. I don't want God to just have a part of me 
but I want God to have every ounce and every fiber of my being. God blessed Abraham because that's what Abraham did. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. As I told you earlier, the sacrifice speaks of Jesus, the Lamb of God. He's our substitute. You say, what does God expect of me? He expects you to love God, to love others. When you love God, you tear down the idols. When you love others, then you're showing the love of God, the first two commandments. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. The second is to love others as yourself. You're sitting here today, and perhaps you're here today, and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord. You've never experienced that sacrifice and how you can have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Thousands of years after Genesis 22, God sent his son into the world, and at that time, his son did die. Jesus died on that cross. He became my sin. He became your sin. He put our sin to death, and he was placed in a tomb. Three days later, God raised him from the dead, and he conquered our sin. He conquered our death. He conquered our hell. He conquered our grave. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to slip out from where you are and come forward and take a minister by the hand. And I want you to tell him today, I need to be saved. And we will take the Bible, God's word, and very briefly show you straight from God's word how you can know that you know that you know that you're saved. Now, I also believe that there are Christians here. Many of us today are Christians. What does sacrifice look like for you? What are you sacrificing for the Lord? This is so far beyond money. You you realize that, right? This is so far beyond finances, but if there's something that you have withheld back from the Lord, there's something that God told you to do and because of, of, of fear or because of some other, some other intangible that, that doesn't really matter that has kept you from doing and fulfilling, whether that means joining this church, whether that means becoming a Sunday school teacher, whether that means holding ba- what, whatever it might be that God is telling you to sacrifice, whatever that is that you have held back because of one concern or another concern, maybe God is saying to you today through this message and through this sermon that it's time to stop running. It's start, it's time to start trusting. Trust in the sacrifice.